0: We've all felt anxious. Whether it's a mild case of the butterflies or the chest-constricting, heart-pounding on the verge of panic that keeps us awake at night, we've all experienced anxiety. I imagine that most of us would say that we would like less anxiety in our lives. But what if anxiety were an invitation from God? Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I hope you're encouraged by what you hear today. In the last installment of The Feels, Jodine Watling considers the difference Jesus makes to our experience of anxiety and makes some suggestions about how to navigate it.
1: Tonight the Bible reading is just from 1 Peter 5, and it's really short, but I think quite powerful. Um, It's verses 6 to 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he
0: cares for you.
1: Hey, just wanted to say first up, thank you uh, and welcome back all the youth leaders from their youth weekend. Um, You are a blessing to our church community in the way that you set aside time and your presence and your energy and your passion. So I just want to say thank you so much. Like, it means so much that you invest time in yourselves and as a team to connect to then so into the lives of youth all year long. So Straight out to you. Um, Look, I don't even know how to start this or bring this up, but I've personally always thought that journaling is a bad idea. Anyone else? Anyway, here's my reasons why. Firstly, you have to write your deepest, darkest feelings, usually in a book, uh, which is uncomfortable to do at times, and then even more mortifying when you have to reread them. And secondly, There's the dread of someone else finding said book and then picking it up and reading it. (laughs) So for most of my life, I have passionately and openly avoided journaling. Although when I was in year seven at school, we had to journal every day that we were there, every day and the first thing in the morning. And recently I found this journal. And here's a photo of my journal and the 11-year-old author named Jodine Braces, hey, like the, I think I crimped my hair for that day for the photos as well. (laughs) Would you like to hear some 11-year-old choice ramblings of this 11-year-old? You don't really have a choice, let's go. Tuesday, Wendy came over and we played Space Invaders and Pac-Man and all these other games. We had the usual food, orange juice and chocolate biscuits. After she went home, I went to netball practice. Thursday, I played with Wendy again. After she went home, I cleaned my bedroom and then heated up the lasagna, and then I had to stay up and do my homework. That Mr. Saunders, he sets so much homework. I hate Mr. S. Thursday, I didn't play with Wendy because she played with Kim, bold font. (laughs) I think Wendy used me because I gave her about 70 cents and then she just didn't play with me. After mum helped me do a backward walkover and a backbend, Monday, I found out that Kim, double bold font, never really liked me. She just, she's just a total user. She just pretended that she liked me, and then she just didn't like me. Anyway, Wendy came over, and we played Space Invaders. <laughs> Thursday, I didn't play with Wendy. Monday, I was depressed because I can't even finish my words. Tuesday, Kim came over to play. We played computer games. I'm such a gamer. <laughs> that night my fish Houdini died, notice italics. I felt sorry for the little fish because he really struggled hard to keep alive. <laughs> Monday I played with Wendy and not with Dogface Molehead. <laughs> we went to the shops and pigged out and we saw Josie and Sue. I don't journal? <laughs> wow, the brutal life of a preteen. Has anyone been there? <laughs> and what I notice as I look back some 30 years later is that my emotional and personal and mental well-being was based on if I had friends who liked me or not. It was like bang on in that adolescent period of life and formation, where you start exploring relationships beyond your family, uh, and your friends are like your whole world. And when I didn't have certainty certainty of my friends, seriously, fear just jumped in and filled in the blanks of the story, desperately for me to try and get control of the situation. I don't know who Dogface Molehead was, maybe I was referring to my own sassy attitude, (laughs) but what I can conclude is that these daily ramblings say more about me than it did about my friends. I had this deep desire for friends, but I was powerless to control the outcome. And it made me anxious, because with that desire to belong and be accepted, lurks the harsh reality that I could be rejected and alone. Has anyone been there? So through this uh, series of the fields, we've been looking at emotional equations uh, from the book of the same name created by Chip Conley and we've looked at the equations of disappointment, envy, shame, workaholism, uh, and you can check out any of those sermons online uh, at our GBC website and download those. And so for our final episode tonight, we are looking at anxiety. So the equation for that is up here and it is anxiety equals uncertainty times powerlessness. So to break that down, if you are faced with something you don't know, uncertainty, and you times that by something you can't control, powerlessness, that is the recipe for anxiety. And I think the ironic thing is, that's literally everyday life, right? Everyday life. Because we cannot honestly guarantee even if we're going to be here tomorrow. To some degree, I think we have an illusion of ourselves that we can sort of control and have certainty about things. Definitely, you know, there's things you can sort of assure that happen. But irrespective, it's really easy to feel anxiety and fall into it. Say, for example, maybe you're unsure about the future. You're thinking about, like, what am I going to do? What about my job? What about schooling? What about this? What about that? How do I fit all that sort of stuff in? That can make us anxious. Uh, For those of you that have kids, and you're experiencing them growing up and going to school and trying different things out, uh, carving their own path of life without you. Maybe you're dealing with aged parents and what happens to them, or experiencing dramatic tensions in relationships or maybe you're facing unexplainable, unresolvable health issues. And sometimes our anxiety for the future are actually echoes of something in our past, unresolved from our past that still has a deep deep grip on how we feel about ourselves and how we view the world around us. And often it's the thing that we're most devoted to is the thing that we're most anxious about. We often don't get anxious about, you know, just stuff that doesn't matter we get anxious about the stuff that really matters to us. As far as the prevalence of anxiety in Australia, Beyond Blue say that anxiety is the most common uh, mental health condition in our nation, the most common one. On average, one in four people experience anxiety. And one in three women and one in five men experience anxiety at some point in their life. In a 12 month period, over two million Australians experience anxiety, and one quarter of Australians will experience an anxiety condition in their lifetime. Happy Australia Day.
0: <laughs>
1: in the latest Michigan Australia uh, youth survey that surveyed 28,000 young people from the ages of 15 to 19 years old, 43% of them rated mental health as the top issue that is facing Australians today, which has doubled in the past three years. So if you have experienced anxiety, these stats show that you're not alone. And I think we all feel stressed from time to time in life. You know, Dylan was out there hustling, trying to get the bread, and it's like, all the shops are closed, like, a little bit anxious, but now he feels okay. But in the moment, it's like, peak! But now, okay, we've got the bread. But anxiety is different because It's a present emotion of inner turmoil produced by the uncertainty of the future. So how do I know if I have anxiety? Well, there's a constant feeling of dread. It's like a foreboding dark cloud of perceived uncertainty in the future, which you can't control, and it all happens in our heads. Anxiety keeps its prisoners trapped in thought patterns of unproductive, fear-based thinking which, funnily enough, creates no certainty or power for us and actually starts to sabotage our own lives. It most commonly shows up as intrusive thoughts. You might have had these before, which are like involuntary, they're unwelcome, there's thoughts that just sort of jump into your head and images that replay in our mind that are distressing and they can feel difficult to stop or manage. Who's had those before? I have them, obviously. Uh, and it's like the mind running in the mouse wheel. You know when just something goes on, or you know, relationship's sort of oh, a bit rough, or you're worrying about something, and it just goes round and round and round and round and round and round, and, round and you, can, you just cannot stop it, and you're like, I know this isn't good thinking about it, I can't stop it, I don't want to think about it, but you that's an intrusive thought. That's anxiety. And it keeps you on high alert. You know, like a smoke alarm goes off all the time. Uh, and there's this overwhelming feeling that you won't be safe physically, emotionally, or spiritually, and you'll never be okay. And with that high level of alarm going off, just like, meh, boom, me, me, you know, the fire alarm's just going off in your head all the time, it actually hijacks our nervous system as well and starts to send out stress hormones. It's like the, the headquarters have heard the sirens, are like, send the cars out, send the cars out. So you've got this hormone cars driving around in your body just going, where's the fire, where's the fire? Uh, And our physical bodies obviously respond to that because they've got to get this energy and hormone out. So in your bodies, you can start to feel that, like, panic, stress, restlessness, pain in your body, a churning stomach, uh, your heart beating out of your chest when you're nervous, your head is spinning, you can feel dizzy or nauseous. It affects and disrupts your sleep patterns. Your appetite can be eating too much or not eating enough. Your concentration and your ability to focus can just be all over the place, and you feel like you're in a constant state of flight, or fight, or freeze. And outside of your own experience, as a culture, we're often more comfortable and ashamed to talk about our feelings. or oh, sorry, uncomfortable and ashamed to talk about our feelings. Uh, because they can be painful. And I've really recognised how painful emotions are for us to feel lately. Um, We prefer to hide, deny, distract, numb, scroll, medicate, eradicate, whatever we can do, don't feel the feelings. Or if people bring them up, we're kind of quick to just kind of dismiss them. Oh, like, she'll be right, she'll be right. Oh, you're okay, don't cry, don't cry, It's 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 all good, babe, babe, oh, it's all good. Babe, okay, babe, you're beautiful. Or, you know, even it can get to that point where we're like, stop stressing, like, move on, like, how hard is it? Build a bridge, get over, stop being a baby, man up, woman up, whatever, you know? We're really quick as a culture to kind of just, whoa, shut down the emotions, like, whoa, that's so awkward. And I think from a global perspective as well, our exposure to the internet, 24-hour news services, social media, uh, as soon as you wake up, you are just faced with global crisis and disaster. Like 2020, man, that was just like a greyhound out of the box. Fires, and Iran and US are about to punch on and blow each other up, and now we've got the coronavirus. Like, talk about anxiety levels just through the roof (laughs) because you just picked up your phone and looked at it in the morning. And I think when we're overwhelmed by uncertainty and powerlessness, anxiety, as much as it's not great and it's, it's terrible, actually becomes the better option. Because it's a predictable misery. It's predictable. And it's better than that feeling of groundlessness, like, what are we gonna do, what are we gonna do, you know? Uh, It's it's better than that. And our brains and our bodies prefer predictability and will choose it hands down over ambiguity and lack of control any day. It feels safer to stick to unproductive, predictable thought patterns in our minds and avoid feelings of vulnerability of the heart and what lies behind these feelings. But it's not, it's not by any means the most helpful place for us to be, because it imprisons us, it paralyzes us, and it actually kind of starts to diminish your possibility as well. But what if anxiety, instead of being a, a story of your brokenness and your disorder and your failure, was actually a divine invitation for us to get curious and ask, what is this anxiety asking of me? What is it asking of me? Because anxiety and its symptoms, just like all of our emotions, are messengers for us to get curious about, to go, oh, wow, really felt that. They are messengers aimed to wake us up and for us to pay attention to. And we can actually decode their meaning by feeling and connecting with them. They're not meant to be our masters, but messengers that hold information for us to unravel and to respond to. And when we can think uh, of anxiety as a divine invitation, it actually changes the nature of our relationship to it. It's not a bad thing anymore. It's like, what could this be? So there is a number of Bible verses uh, uh, that talk about anxiety, uh, which reflects, I guess, the historical occurrence over, over thousands of years, which is kind of comforting, isn't it? Because like, it talks about anxiety like b- hundreds, thousands of years ago. And the first one which we read together in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, was part of a letter which was sent from Peter to the new Christians of the emerging church, and they were facing persecution at the time. Anyone needing air in here? Yes. Yeah, it's feeling anxiety levels of temperature going, and I'm like, sister, could cool down a little. Thanks, Carl. oh yeah. <laughs> this verse says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you." Now, this is not just kind of a quaint statement to put on a coffee cup and a sell at a Christian bookstore. It's like, oh, it's nice, just cast all your anxiety upon him. (laughs) You know, because that's why I think we read the Bible sometimes. It's like, oh, isn't that nice? Like, bless you, bless you. It's like, this stuff's got to work. Like, this stuff's got to work. And this verse here is a lifeline from someone who has experienced anxiety in living color. Think of Peter who authored uh, these words to the early church. He was the first disciple that Jesus said, follow me, and he's like, okay. (laughs) And Jesus gives him the task to build the church. Not our church, the church. The church that we're all part of, this big global network, this movement that he started back in the day. Talk about (laughs) anxiety-inducing. Who would be a little bit stressed over that? Especially when you don't even know what a church is because you've never seen one before. What's a church? So... He gives this, this huge task to Peter, but the reality I think that most of us would be familiar with uh, of Peter in the Gospel accounts is it's not very flattering. We see multiple failures of Peter to the point that he literally denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. Don't know the guy, wasn't with him. And after all that failure, Peter's just like, oh, cut me some slack, I am out of here. I'm gonna go and do what I know and what I'm certainly good at, and that's some fishing. I don't think they did that back in the day. But after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus goes back and restores Peter in John chapter 21 and affirms to him, keep going, build my church. And I think the only way that you could face up to that kind of expectation and that kind of mantle was to legit humble yourself, just as it talks about in here to let go of all that anxiety that said, there's no way you could do this. Who do you even think you are? You are not the right person. That's what anxiety sounds like, because you're like, there's this future goal. I'm supposed to build the church. I know who I am. Look at the gap. Uh, mind spinning, mind spinning, mind spinning. And if it's God's will to do uh, this, if it's God's will, it's, I just got anxious. If it's God's will for Peter to do this, then it's probably God's kind of bill to carry this, because to some degree the anxiety uh, of all of this was never Peter's to carry in the first place, but actually an opportunity to trust God's character. Because if Jesus told you to do this, he's probably going to be with you. And I think new situations, and put this into your own life, they demand us to dig deep in our hearts, to find unplumbed depths of courage and resilience and intimacy with God. That's the opportunity, that's the divine invitation. And if we're struggling to hand that anxiety over, maybe it's our invitation to grow in our awareness that God really does care. Or maybe it's an opportunity to cultivate our trust that God is present in these struggles and we can genuinely chuck our anxiety at him. In another uh, verse in the Bible in a letter to the Philippians uh, in chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 Paul says this don't be anxious do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus So we kind of get another add-on here. So while Peter invites us to humble ourselves and cast our anxieties on a caring God, Paul adds that we can cast those anxieties over to God through prayer. Literally talking to God, expressing our heart, and speaking out those words to communicate that anxiety. As a community, we always talk about prayer, a little bit anxious, prayer being powerful and effective. And this is part of us redirecting our anxiety towards God's care. And rather than being some nice, you know, vague nicety, just just pray, I'll just just pray for you, I'll pray, you pray, we're invited to give specific petition to God and be really specific about the heart of the matter. And for us to be clear with God, uh, it actually ensures that we probably need to be clear with ourselves. So maybe the first step is grabbing a sheet of paper or your, your favorite device, whatever it is, and literally doing an emotional dump on that page to see what's going on in your heart and mind. And it can be hard at times because you literally have to be honest. And not only is that load off for you, but it allows us to get specific when we start to pray to God. And I think another really interesting part of what Paul uh, writes here is that we're to include thanksgiving or gratitude. Because when we can focus on these things, the incredible things that we actually have in this moment, like air conditioning, wasn't that? That's thank you, Jesus. Uh, Seats, bread, thank you, Dylan. <laughs> you know, when we can focus on all these, these good things, it actually begins to expand our perspective and it begins to dilute those thoughts and fears of anxiety. Fear and anxiety robs, of us, sorry, robs us of potential to see possibility. Um, So when we actually start to do, like, sort of be mindful and start thinking, it's like doing bicep curls in the mind, like, yeah, thanks for all the people, thanks for the chairs, love the carpet. You, random stranger over there, thank you. Thanks for my coffee. you." You know, whatever it is, it is bicep curls in the mind that are strengthening the way that you see things. You notice what you do have as opposed to what you don't, and it starts to shift the atmosphere. And the promise is that the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this all seems pretty straightforward, but if you're experiencing anxiety, sometimes it's no easy feat to get to this because it's just a struggle to get to that place. And it kind of cuts right to the core beliefs of us. Do we actually believe that God's love, care, and concern extends to me, to you, in this particular situation? So I think that's what anxiety does. It kind of gets us in a corner and goes, Nah, God's not on this. Not on it. All that stuff, good. Your coffee mug with the anxiety thing, that's all right. Not in your situation. It also begs the question, is Jesus' redemptive life uh, and, and plan for, for all humanity um, smaller than our anxieties? Like, when we start to think about it, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know? I think we're dealing with this stuff and, and there's this kind of a hope or an illusion that... Um, that will say one thing or read a verse and just like, whoosh, anxiety gone. Uh, It'll magically disappear, I'm healed. And while God can do those things, he doesn't really actually give us any specific timelines. And if we think back to that verse in Peter, it talks about that God will lift us up in due time. So the only framework we've got is that it's God's timing, and our invitation is to keep casting our anxiety on God. Just think about it: when like someone comes around to visit, you and you're like, "Shit, someone's coming!" And you're like chucking stuff in spare rooms and hiding things. Cast your anxieties like that, you know, just get rid of those things. Uh, and so we're asked to pray, uh, to keep calling out the things we're thankful for, and give those things over to God. So, what can we do if we're in this situation of anxiety? I think the fact that we're having a conversation about this as a church is a good thing i just gonna pause on that and so say thank you. <laughs> maybe it's acknowledging some of the symptoms that you're experiencing and maybe reading a bit more. Uh, there's plenty of resources online that you can Google, diagnose yourself, sometimes good, sometimes bad, uh, and get some of that insight. And when we feel anxious, notice when we're in that loop, when that mouse wheel is spinning. I'm feeling uncertain, I'm feeling powerlessness. My mind's starting to spin. Okay, that's, that's a messenger, that's an alarm bell. What do I do here? That's our opportunity to pray, to talk to God, to make specific uh, petition and give thanks and cultivate that perspective of gratitude. So a few times, I think, last year, I mentioned that last year, 2019, was just, like, super challenging for me. Like, it was just a, a, a throat punch. <laughs> and as I look back, I can see it was actually anxiety that I was experiencing, but probably, probably at an intensity that I've never had before. Like, I don't, wouldn't consider myself an anxious person, um, but it was, just, it was just all guns blazing last year. So to kind of start to get a grapple with it, and I've never experienced this before, so you're like, what, 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 what do you do? All these symptoms are going off, my you know, head's spinning, so things were just getting super foggy, and I'm just sort of like, ah. Um, true Jodine style, I made a spreadsheet, and I emptied my head and heart onto that spreadsheet, uh, all my <laughs> problems, thoughts, and they were like, 36 different line items that were just like boggling around in my mind. And I've always been confused about this kind of stuff, like is this something God takes away or do I have to hustle? And it's kind of been, I guess, looking back, a bit of a holy hustle, like a bit of an uphill battle, a moment by moment thing, a bit of a daily grind. And what I recognize is that processing your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts as a follower of Jesus is a necessary lifelong practice uh, of a disciple so that our emotions and our feelings remain our messengers and not our masters. Because we're always going to be facing new forms of uncertainty and powerlessness which will demand deeper levels uh, of humility from us and also trust to be able to hand that over to God. I think every fiber of our being, you know, just wants to think the stuffing out of things, you know, like, oh, a problem over there, think, 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 you think, know, it's, it's, it's crazy that we go to those things. And we see it constantly in Psalms, which gives me some reassure, uh, reassurance. We see a lot of the, uh, if you've read through the Psalms, we see a lot of the uh, writers having complete emotional meltdowns, right? They're like, wow. But then they realign their heart with the promises and presence of God. And at the end of Psalm 139, it says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And reflecting on these passages and and, um, the strategies, I guess, for me that were a really good fit for my circumstance was doing the spreadsheet. That was my way of kind of searching my heart and knowing my thoughts on a spreadsheet in the iCloud, like who would have thought like a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, Literally all 36 of them were kind of weird, wild, and complex, but it was just like, this is my chance to just let it all out. And it kind of helped me gain distance from it because you could look at it and go, that's all my problems, that's it. That's all, that's it all, there's nothing else to add. Or if I thought of something later, I could add it on, but that was it. And so it was kind of like a really reassuring thing to go, this is all, this is all the problems. And it gave me perspective to see the patterns that were in them as well, like there was, I even kind of gave them like genres, like (laughs) I coded them, oh gosh. (laughs) And that just helped me get perspective. Another step I took was that I intentionally found a specific type of mentor and a counsellor to start working through my spreadsheet, uh, which has taken over a year, and I'm still working through that as well. It's not something that's necessarily mentioned in the Bible, but it's super helpful, and I feel so privileged to walk with these people and have learnt so much from them as well. I started keeping one small daily promise to myself, something that I had the certain power that I could do um, every day to relieve that uncertainty and powerlessness. Uh, One thing that was really not doing well was my sleep. Uh, And you know, our our generations are the most distracted generations. You know, you get home, it's like, ah, just relax. Like 700 hours later, like you're still. It's like 3 a.m. in the morning. Like, why? You know, we're just like on a like a poker machine. Like, wait. And there's like, it's not even anything good. Like, has anyone seen anything gone? Whoa! You've got to see this. Like, who even remembers all the things that we look at? So sleep was one of the areas that was really degraded. So I had to go. Okay, what I had to work out what kind of hours do I need to sleep? And it varies for people. It might be seven. Might be eight. Might be nine. Might be ten. Whatever and be really dedicated and disciplined to go, I'm gonna keep that sleep, whatever. And I even put a buffer in there, like a little bit of time to just kind of, you know when you're like in bed and you're just like, I'm going to sleep, and you're just rolling around. But then even when I wake up, you just got time to roll around for a bit, not just like, I gotta get up and hustle. So I built that in and I started keeping those times. And I think I was like a massive night owl. Love like the 2 a.m., 3 a.m., oh, I love that, like just staying up but um, I've moved that back now to be going to bed early, and that has just changed so much for me as well. Uh, You're not gonna believe this. As much as I despised and resisted it, I took up journaling. (laughs) Because it allows me to give daily, gentle attention to my internal world uh, with compassion and curiosity, so I can actually develop the strength of gracious observation and resilience for myself. And it's been one of the most transformative daily practices. I respond to 10 simple questions, the same ones, every day. And it takes all of five minutes. Uh, and those questions become like a framework that I can literally pray back. There's your prayer, you can just read that back and there is your prayer. So I think about, what well, I write down about, how are you feeling today? What caused that? What do you need today? What are three things that you're thankful for? And so on. And once I've done that journal, it literally, yeah, it becomes the prayer, uh, which is a great thing and it's really helpful when you're in anxiety and you're like, I don't even know how to get this back to God. And I think it's just those compounding, daily instalments and increments that have started to shift and change the game. And I've been journaling for eight months now. So, whew. I still have anxious tendencies, and I still can't say words right when I'm talking to people. <laughs> and I can spiral into it, but now I know that I have the capacity to notice and redirect it towards God when I get into it. I've definitely felt really ashamed to have anxiety. I'm like, when I, not so much, were I better than that? I just thought, uh, not, and I'm not above it, but I just thought I wouldn't be exposed to that or fall into that, but I have. Um, but it's definitely shaped and grown me in ways that nothing else would have. One poet writes this. Don't surrender your emotions so quickly. Let them cut you more deep. Let them season you as few human and even divine ingredients can. Because when you feel the voids in your heart, your voice becomes, sorry, your eyes become soft, your voice becomes tender, and your need for God becomes absolutely clear. So as painful as this unraveling has been, uh, I can see it's been a divine invitation that has brought me into a new way of living that's really unearthed a lot of things and beliefs and behaviors that I've probably been living for the last 20, 30 years that just don't serve me anymore. It's time to move on put my big girl pants on. It hasn't been great, but it's actually been a gift, and God is continually and slowly redeeming it day by day. So if you are experiencing anxiety, firstly, you are not alone. If you are in that endless loop of uncertainty and powerlessness, God is willing to carry that burden and care for you in this space and will give the certainty of his presence. And we have the power of prayer because he will listen. And we have the power to be specific. We have the power to give thanks and the certainty that he's gonna see those things. And there's so much for us to be thankful for as well. And I think the most beautiful thing is that God actually welcomes our anxiety. Like it's okay. He welcomes it with open arms and embraces us, which is so reassuring. And the fact that he wants our outcome to be peace that transcends all understanding, it's a really good focus point to aim for.
0: To cast our anxieties on God is more than some trite, feel-good motivational statement, but an invitation whenever we face anxiety to trust His care, His love, and His provision for our future prayer and the practices that support it, self-awareness and gratitude, is a way to face our anxieties as followers of Jesus. Is there someone you know who needs to hear this message too? If so, why not share it with them and see what God does through that? And as always, we'd love to hear from you as you hear and respond to the invitation of God. You can find us on Facebook or visit our website at guymeabaptist.org.au. Until next time, God bless.